Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. I will ask a City of Hamilton rep what's going on with the Claremont Access. I'll tell you what the number one scam is in Canada. Grape growers and winemakers are combating climate change. Bachman and Bachman are going to Rock Brantford, a new milestone for Canada's longest-running radio documentary. And do you eat mac and cheese with a fork or a spoon? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We'd like to be on a particular road, at least down the Hamilton Mountain. That is the downbound Claremont Access, but it remains off limits after some erosion caused some concern. And city officials are like, we got to close the downbound lines. We don't want anybody getting hurt by potential Rock slide or mudslide like we saw back in 2012. Now, no one was hurt in that incident either, but it certainly caused some headaches for work crews who had to make these repairs. So a week into this thing, a week into this closure, what is the game plan? A lot of motorists are asking, when is the downbound Claremont going to reopen? Jackie Kennedy is the Director of Engineering Services with the City of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Jackie. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you, Rick? I'm good. What's been done in the last week since these lanes closed? We have had um, con- our consultant, Stantec, out at site as of yesterday with some engineers from the city of Hamilton looking at what we can do. They brought a contractor as well who we're hoping will be able to um, work with what's there to remove the pressure from behind the the steel facing wall that's in question um, and and make things safe there again. It, it likely will take some time to get to that point. Um, so I do ask for everyone's continued patience with the closure of the Claremont downbound lanes. Is there any timeline or a projected timeline you'd like to see? I don't have a timeline yet. Uh, we do want to make sure that things are safe. That's certainly the priority. Um, and we are doing this out of an abundance of caution. When we see something that looks different than we expect, uh, like we have here, uh, and the the potential um, movement is not clear, we do want to take as the caution necessary to make sure that people remain safe. So that's what we're doing while we um, work to make sure we've got a contractor who's qualified and knows what they're doing to make to to make the next steps um, and remove that um, steel facing panel, likely. And then we'll have to observe what what uh, what we see after that and take steps from that point forward. Are there other areas of the escarpment along the Claremont that are areas of concern, or at least that you're looking at and checking just to make sure everything's okay? Uh, there are, yeah, that's a great question. So from um, the bridge that's just east of where we are talking about um, up the uh, up the escarpment, there's 600 meters of length of steel wall that we're planning to remove this summer. We've been working with Stantec for um, a few years now where they've been doing continued inspections as well as putting together um, some technical specifications and a design package to have the rest of that wall removed. So it, it does extend for uh, the, the length down to that bridge. It's about, as I said, about 600 meters worth of, worth of steel. 
Talking about the downbound Claremont access with our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Jackie Kennedy, Director of Engineering Services at the City of Hamilton. We know that the downbound Claremont used to have three lanes of traffic, but that was cut down to two back in 2012 after that retaining wall burst near really close to where this erosion is occurring. Does a permanent fix exist or is the escarpment wall kind of forcing the city into a Band-Aid situation? The next thing we're going to be able to do is get this steel off the escarpment so we can see what's behind it and we'll take it from there. Um, I don't want to rule out a permanent solution. I don't want to commit to it either because I just don't know. So the next thing we need to do is get this these steel-facing walls that were put up for um, erosion control off the escarpment, have a look at it, and then work with our consulting experts to determine what would be the best next solution for um, maintaining safety along this roadway. As you're looking down the road, pardon the pun, but is it likely that the downbound lanes will reopen with only one lane available to traffic? Are you are you going for two or or could you have both lanes reopened or or having traffic going both ways up and down on the right side, so to speak, or on the on the lane that is currently open? I'm working with traffic operations and maintenance to um, to determine what we can do there. The the top priority right now is to make sure that it's safe. So we've got the two lanes closed and downbound lanes, or the three lanes, including the uh, the original closure. Um, and so we're going to have to keep it like that for the immediate future. Um, and we will have to look at what's possible going forward. What kind of pressure has this put on the other mountain accesses? Um, well, it does put some pressure on the other mountain accesses. I don't want to speak too much to the traffic. That's not my area of expertise. My understanding is that the detour is working quite well, and I know that it's going to take some patience from the folks using that every day and uh, thank them for their patience and understand that we are doing this with the best safety in mind. Last one for you. you only got about a minute here. Uh, the Ketty Trail is also going to be impacted by this. Why is that? The Ketty Trail is not impacted by this. There are some different maintenance work happening on the Ketty Trail right now. And so it's been closed. It was closed yesterday during the day, and it will be throughout the week for some maintenance not related to this incident. Okay, great clarification. Jackie, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That's Jackie Kennedy, Director of Engineering Services at the City of Hamilton. So no real timeline in terms of when the downbound Claremont is going to reopen. Obviously, Work is being done. They got to rip that metal cladding or retaining wall off to really look at how this erosion is occurring and how much worse it potentially could get before any repairs are made. It sounds like this is going to be a lengthy process. Uh, Patience is going to be the key, especially for motors who are being forced to use other accesses to get down the hill. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This month is Fraud Prevention Month, and quite timely that the Better Business Bureau is out with its annual risk report, and it highlights the top 10 scams that hit Canadians in 2022. Angela Dennis is the CEO of the Better Business Bureau, Central Ontario, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Angela, good morning. How are you? Good morning, and I'm great. How are you? I'm good. We have a new number one on the top 10 scams list. What are we looking at? We certainly do. It actually moved from number four in 2021 to number one in 2022, and that is our home improvement scam. Uh, The overall median, so in Canada, um, our uh, scam tracker actually uh, 
Canadian consumers reported 1,297 scam reports to our scam tracker. And uh, the median loss was $300, which is a 20% increase from 2021, uh, which was 250 um, But the home improvement scam uh, actually uh, went up by 187.4% in the median dollar loss, hmm. from $661 to $1,900 in 2022. Wow, that is uh, quite the dramatic rise. Uh, number two on the list is cryptocurrency scams. So they've dropped a, a, a spot here on your list. They did drop, yes. They were number one in uh, Canada in uh, 2021. So uh, the home improvement did uh, surpass them, put them into number two. And uh, that was due to uh, the way that the risk index works. They We look at exposure by susceptibility, um, by monetary loss. So even though the monetary loss was higher for the uh, cryptocurrency, the susceptibility and the exposure was higher for the home improvement scams. New to the list uh, this year, investment scams, rental scams, uh, any anything to do with travel or vacations. Uh, I want to, we only got a couple minutes here. I want to get a sense of what our listeners should be doing if they kind of suspect something is awry with someone who maybe is offering a home improvement. Yeah, so the the best tip we can give, um, say no to cash-only deals, um, high-pressure sales tactics, um, high upfront payments, handshake deals without a contract, be very suspicious. Uh, whenever possible, work with a business that have proper identification, licensing, insurance, um, ask for references, and check them out. And it's scary to note that Canadians only report about 5 to 10% of these of these scams, of these fraud cases, which is... Uh, we, yes. we we like to see that number get a lot higher. You know what we do, and that's why we're here, and that's why we have our online platform of the uh, Scam Tracker. We encourage consumers to use it to uh, help prevent um, somebody else from being scammed. And consumers, if they feel that they are being scammed, go on there and check and see um, if people are reporting it, and then they can get that assurance that, you know what, these are scammers, and stay away and uh If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, that old adage works in this case. You can find the Better Business Bureau Scam Tracker online at bbb.org forward slash scam tracker. Angela, thanks for the time today. Uh, We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Angela Dennis is the CEO of the Better Business Bureau Central Ontario. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are talking about wine here, and and for good reason, because much very similar to what maple syrup producers are dealing with in southern Ontario. We're getting a story this morning on how they're concerned about how climate change is impacting their industry. Grape growers, winemakers in this province are certainly fighting that same fight uh, against climate change. Our is this battle an uphill one? Are they making some gains in terms of getting a handle on how climate change is impacting their world? Dr. Deb Ingalls is a professor of biological studies and director of the Cool Climate Enology and Viticulture Institute at Brock University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Ingalls, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rip. I'm very well this morning. Always happy to talk about Ontario wine. Yeah, give us a sense on the impact that climate change is having on grape growers and truly by extension winemakers as well. Right. Well, you know, it's really for us about the extremes in the weather. So, uh, you know, although we're 
experiencing global warming, uh, what that means for us in our winters is that they don't get as cold as normal, but then we'll still get these cold snaps in the middle of winter. And the grapevines just aren't as ready for that cold temperature, and it can cause damage to the vine, which can impact the production uh, for the um, uh, ongoing uh, season. However, our industry is very resilient. They're working on building resiliency all the time into production. And we've got a lot of avenues to overcome some of these challenges. And we'll continue to work with innovative techniques to uh, improve those options for us, for the industry. What are some of the consequences that we are seeing in the grape growing, winemaking field that are having on this industry? Sure. So I would say, you know, the cold temperatures in the winter uh, can cause bud death and, and impact crop level. But to um, fight against that, the industry has invested heavily in wind machine technology. And they've worked with researchers at my institute, the Cool Climate Enology and Viticulture Institute at Brock, to know the precise times to turn on these wind machines, which will mix warm air above the vine with cold air at the vine level and actually raise that temperature four to five degrees Celsius so that the, the vine never sees that really cold temperature. This will help the vine um, not have the bud death that it would without the wind machines. And also in the spring, when spring frosts come, if the, if the vine breaks bud early, the wind machines can also help protect that young tissue by, again, raising that temperature three or four degrees Celsius so that it's never damaged. Does that make the wine uh, in the years to come more resilient or more resistant to climate change, or is it always going to need a little bit of help? Yeah, that will um, actually help with that resistance or resilience uh, within the industry. Now, you know, let's say we get really cold temperatures like in Prince Edward County, where the temperatures can get down to like minus 30 degrees Celsius. We can also use other technologies such as draping the vine in this geotextile material. And it's like a, a cover um, over the vine. And so inside that geotextile material, instead of experiencing minus 30 degrees Celsius, the vine only sees minus 15 degrees Celsius. And so those sorts of um, technologies we're already using and they're already having a, a huge impact on um, keeping our production consistent. But, you know, we're also looking at developing newer technologies to help get rid of um, diseases such as viruses that can get into plant tissue and also take away some of that hardiness of the vine. So this is part of a clean plant program that we're uh, working with the industry to develop where we use innovative technology like micro um uh, tip shoot propagation. Um, and this allows us to get rid of those organisms that will take away from the hardiness of the grapevine. So there, there's lots of innovation uh, going forward that will help us keep our Vitis vinifera and our interspecies um, hybrids in production across the, the province. We got 90 more seconds with Dr. Deb Ingalls from Brock University talking about the impact that climate change is having on grape growers and winemakers uh, because of this you know new new world that we live in with climate change there's some companies out there producing or at least the thought of producing a genetically modified 
wine. They're, they're doing this with certain foods. They're looking into research on how to make a synthetic wine. Your thoughts on this? To me, it sounds sacrilegious. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's a synthetic wine per se, but, um, you know, there are tools and techniques that can edit the genome of a plant. And, um, you know, could that be applied to grapevine? It could. But is there market acceptance of that from the consumer? At this stage of the game, there isn't. Uh, there's a huge resistance in, in Europe. Uh, it's a very traditional industry and they're, they're not moving forward on that sort of, um, uh, technology, but that's not to say down the road, uh, you know, if, um, if that technology further develops and the consumer changes their mind on, on accepting, um, uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene edited, uh, plants, then that might be something that the grape industry moves towards. But I don't see that in the very near future. Dr. Ingalls, thank you for your time today. It was uh, really appreciated. You can uh, share some of your insight with our listeners. Good to talk to you, Rick. Take care. You too. That is Dr. Deb Ingalls, Professor of Biological Studies and the Director of the Cool Climate Enology and Viticulture Institute at Brock University. The uh, the grape-growing, winemaking industry, super resilient when it comes to climate change, as you heard. That is a great news for a multi-billion dollar industry in this province. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you haven't bought tickets to one of the best shows that you're going to see in 2023, you better hurry fast because Tuesday, March 21st at the Sanderson Center in Branford, it's Bachman and Bachman with father-son duo Randy and Tal Bachman. This show is going to mix some of their old hits, some new songs that they've written together. And joining us now to talk about it is Randy and Tal Bachman. Guys, how are you? Very good. Great. Hey, Tal, we'll start with you. For those people who are going to watch you play at the Sanderson Center, March 21st, what can they expect? A surprise. Um, yeah, we're going to be doing, uh, you know, some of our popular numbers. We're going to try out a few new ones to see how they go. And we're going to play one or two of our favorite cover songs. But then I think we're going to ask for a request or two from the crowd and see if we can pull it off right there live. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Randy, what's it like performing on stage alongside Tal? Uh, it's just like sitting around our house. We played guitar together all the time, every evening, and every commercial, we mute the TV and uh, jam guitars and stuff. But on stage, it's really special. Uh, we have a communication that you can't buy that just comes from spending a long time together. We did uh, Friday Night YouTube uh, every Saturday, I'm sorry, every Friday at 6 o'clock, where we just kind of went and did a train wreck of trying to play songs together that we had never played before. So we're going to have a box or a fishbowl or something, as people are coming into this concert, they can write down a strange request on song if they want, and we'll pull, we're going to pull some out of like the box or the fishbowl and try to play them, and it's probably be a train wreck. So then when we recover, we'll do one of the minor tales hits on a, on a new song, and then uh, every third or fourth song we'll be um, pulling it out of a jar. Wow, that is pretty cool. Tal, did you guys work together writing songs for the new album, Shadows of Yesterday? Yeah, we did a few songs together. Uh, Dad had a few of his own songs, and I had a few of my own. So it was, overall, it was pretty evenly split. Pretty did you go back and forth on lyrics and, and melodies and stuff like that? Or was it just kind of a, hey, you write one song and I'll write another? Uh, well, he would write a song. I might suggest 
two little changes and vice versa. The thing that's good about doing an album together is like he had his songs, I had mine. So those two kinds of songs, and we do them together and they're quite different. You look back at songs I wrote alone with the guess who, the song I wrote with Burton Cummings, the song he wrote alone, you get three different kinds of songs. So it just makes the album much more interesting. We are speaking with Randy and Tal Bachman. Bachman and Bachman, they're going to be playing the Sanderson Center in Brantford Tuesday, March 21st. You can get your tickets online, tickets.sandersoncenter.ca. Uh, I'll, I'll ask this question to both of you guys. What's the what's your favorite song to play alongside one another? Randy, we'll start with you. Oh, my goodness. It's too many to choose from. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything. Who's my favorite yeah. child? What's my favorite song? No, there's... <laughs> The song, the song we're playing at the moment, because they're, they're such a, I saw this on TV a while ago, I think it was Sting that said it. Um, if you ask somebody, ask any of your audience, what were you doing 10 years ago or 12 years ago today, they wouldn't remember. But if you say to them, what were you doing the first time you heard uh, Message in a Bottle or American Woman, uh, boom, they go right back to that moment where they first heard it. So it's in their memory and in their life cycle. So for me, it's the current song that we're playing and looking out at the people and saying, oh, yeah, I was in my pickup truck on the farm. I was 18 when I heard Let It Ride or something or American Woman. Or I was in the backseat making out with my girlfriend at the, at the prom. And I remember these eyes and stuff like that. So if the, the song we're doing at the moment, seeing the, the audience's reaction to the song is really makes the song that, that special moment in time. Yeah, that must be cool. Tell, do you have a favorite? Um. <sighs> You better agree well, with me. <laughs> I think, well, one sign that we always goof around with because the chords are so pretty, not that they're they're unique. It's kind of a, a classic chord progression, but this is going to sound funny, but we always end up jamming on the Selena Gomez, uh, what is it? Uh, love You love Like song. a Love Yeah, Love You Like a Love Song, baby. Oh, I wow. Because, because, I they did it, because they did it like um, a synth pop version of it, but... It's actually sounds like a Spanish kind of song. So we always kind of jam on that. Tuesday, March 21st, Sanderson Center in Brantford, Bachman and Bachman. Get your tickets online, tickets.sandersoncenter.ca. Tal, did you ever think you would be doing a show like this with your dad? Like, was that, was that always in the back of your mind? Well, we've done a few of these shows. I, I started playing with dad professionally a long time ago. I played drums for him for a while. So every once in a while, I would come along to an interview because the band would, or we'd do meet and greets. Um, and then we did, we've done other interviews over the years when my record came out and some of your records. So yeah, it's always been us kind of guesting on each other's song on an album or something. But to actually do an album together and play a stage show together, it's quite a different dynamics and we have a lot of fun and we, nothing is scripted we just kind of goof around so we're going to have an open mic so the audience can it'll be like our living room and we've invited people in it's just going to be very informal very casual that yeah that's a great theme for sure we don't even know what we're doing or what we're going to do we're rehearsing next week <laughs> we actually have a set list yet so we're probably going to make that up on stage during the show so it actually, when we say it might actually be a one of a kind show, that is, that's true. <laughs> that is wild. Now, Randy, I read that the new album, Shadows of Yesterday, is going to be the soundtrack for the documentary about the guitar that was stolen 45 years ago and you got it back last summer. Is that true? Well, some of it will be because right in the middle of us getting the guitar back and waiting to go to Japan, because we couldn't go there when the, we found the guy who had it, we were unable to travel because of COVID. 
we waited and waited. In that meantime, we had an offer to do an album. So we went to uh, Washington State. We drove down to a great studio and uh, did the album there right in the middle of it. So it kind of like came up in the middle of the whole the whole thing. So it, it shows us they're recording the song. We're going to write a song for the closing credit. Now that we have the Gretsch guitar back, the magic guitar is back, we're going to write a song. It'll probably be called Lost and Found. The story of my Gretsch, how I got it, how it was stolen, how I waited all this time and how we got it back or how it found me after me searching for 45 years and never finding it, how it found me from a through a guy in Japan, through a guy in White Rock, B.C., who found it on the Internet. So it's a really great story. When is the documentary coming out, you know? Well, they're editing it right now. They're doing final stages right now where they're interviewing, I think, Neil Young, because he was there in Winnipeg when I bought my Gretsch and he bought his at the same time. Uh, they're interviewing um, Gary Peterson, who was there, and the drummer with the Guess Who Still, who was there when I bought it. And then Fred Turner, who was in the hotel room when the roadie came to me in Toronto and said, your Gretsch is gone and been stolen. So they're getting those final guys in there. And then they're, they're editing it, and it'll be out pretty soon. Wow. It is a wild story. It's going to be an awesome show. Sanderson Center in Brantford, Tuesday, March 21st. Bachman and Bachman. Get your tickets now. Tickets.sandersoncenter.ca. Randy Tell, thanks for the time. Good luck with the show. This sounds amazing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks for having us. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The ongoing history of new music markets 30th anniversary last Sunday on CHML's brother station, 102.1 The Edge in Toronto. And the host of Canada's longest-running radio documentary joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Alan Cross is the host of the ongoing history of new music. Alan, good morning. How are you? Hi. Uh, yeah, I, I had no idea that we'd be doing this uh, 30 years after I started it. <laughs> Happy 30th. Does it feel any different than, I don't know, the, the 10th or 20th anniversary? Um, it's just, you know, when you get to 30, you start looking back and going, oh my God, that's three decades ago. When you, when you consider that, that I started this, uh, we didn't know anything about the internet. There was no email. Mm -hmm. There were no smartphones. There were no cell phones for a lot of people. So to, to last over that length of time and with no end in sight, it's, it's actually really, really cool, really great, uh, gratifying. What do you remember about episode number one in the preparation to put that together? I remember being absolutely scared out of my mind simply because, again, there was very little in the way of resources. Um, the radio station had just been sold, and there was a plan or a rumor that the station was going to go country. But uh, after doing some research, remember, this is the era of Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains. They decided that, no, we're going to stick with this alternative format, but we need a program that is going to put everything into context for all these new listeners that we expect to get. So they looked around, and they found one person on staff with a history degree, which was me, and they said, you're doing it. And I said, well, I don't want to do it. And they said, okay, well, that's fine. Um, here's a package. Uh, we wish you well in your future endeavors. Well, uh, I had just gotten married. I just bought a house, so I had to do something. So uh, I, I, I accepted the assignments rather reluctantly, but I'm glad I did. Uh, but I'll tell you, those first couple of years were really difficult because uh, you, know, you had to do so much more external research. And what I mean by that is, is having to leave the office to go to the library, to look through microfiche and old magazines and uh, record stores, hoping to find a, a, a piece of vinyl or a CD that you could use. 
it was really, really, really hard. And uh, I'm just glad the internet came along and, and smoothed things over. You're not that far away from episode 1000. I think you're at 978. Uh, yeah, so, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, again, 1,000 one-hour shows is, is, is a lot. Um, that 1,000th show will be all things being equal sometime this fall, uh, depending on how this, this schedule sorts itself out, but uh, probably around mid-November. Um, when I started this, uh, there were all kinds of special regulations for FM radio when it came to special programming. And uh, that's also one of the reasons why uh, we, we did this program, because you had to fulfill certain aspects of your broadcast license. Um, those rules are all gone now. And you, there's no obligation whatsoever on behalf of FM radio stations to, to do programming like this. Uh, the reason we did those had those regulations was to keep FM completely distinct from AM radio, which was still playing a lot of music at the time. So that's uh, <laughs> that's gone, and so are all these regulations. So the, there's no regulatory reason for the program to to exist, but I'm, I'm glad it, it continues. Um, and I think the reason it continues is because people love context. They love a good story. And if you can add context and information to a piece of music, well, then that music becomes a lot more meaningful and has a greater emotional impact. And, and that's, I think, what I've been able to do. Absolutely. You're a fantastic storyteller, and I think that's why this documentary, Canada's longest-running radio doc, has lived on for, well, this past Sunday was the 30th anniversary. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Alan Cross, the host of the ongoing History of New Music. Do you have a a most memorable episode, guest, topic that you've tackled? No, not really, simply because I have to do so many of them. As, well, as soon as one is complete, I move on to the next thing. Um, but that being said, I did one earlier this year called Connections. If you remember, there was an old BBC series called Connections with a guy named James Burke that uh, hosted it. And it was a science and technology show, and it was absolutely brilliant. So um, this this show that I did was modeled after the, uh, uh, the James Burke program, and uh, I'm pretty pleased the way it worked out. Yeah, it's it's gone pretty well, I'll say. <laughs> One of the best episodes, and I just actually heard this recently, was how some of the most iconic TV theme songs came to be. That uh, that must have been fun to put together. Well, it was because you know back in the day, you know, TV theme songs were bespoke for um, the show itself. Uh, I just happened to run across a couple of shows over the weekend. Uh, you know, Barney Miller and, and I Dream of Jeannie with with their with their. Uh, with their theme songs. But, you know, a lot of bands, a lot of them, um, their artists have been commissioned to do these things. And uh, there's a long history now of, of songs that have been re either repurposed for, um, for TV themes or somebody, a producer or a studio, whoever has approached an artist and said, can you write a TV theme for my, my TV show? And it's, 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 it's fun because again, you know, when, when that show comes on TV or you think about it, you, you got a little bit more context and it makes it a little bit more enjoyable. Got about 30 seconds. You've already hit the 30 mark. Are you thinking 50? I have no idea. Uh, listen, Rick, if you had told me 1993, I'd still be doing this. I would have laughed in your face. <laughs> so um, given that I have absolutely no other portable skills, I'll uh, probably continue doing this until it's over. 
Well, Alan, that means. best of luck going forward. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's Ellen Cross, host of the ongoing History of New Music Canada's longest-running radio documentary. This past Sunday celebrated 30 years. Absolute, well, it's not unbelievable. It's absolutely amazing because Alan does such a great job putting this show together. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Craft dinner. KD mac and cheese. Oh, we love it. So yummy. Yummy for the tummy. Uh, There is a debate that has raged for years, really, probably the first time you made KD or you went to someone's house and they were making mac and cheese and you were asked the question, do you want to eat this with a fork or do you want to eat this with a spoon? And the makers of KD, Kraft Heinz, actually studied this. They, They sent out a survey back in February and it revealed that 80% of Canadians eat KD, which I wholeheartedly believe. That that number actually might be low. (laughs) And nearly half, 43%, eat KD with a spoon. That means 57% say they do so with a fork. And so, with an estimated 13 million spoon eaters, according to KD, they thought, you know, we should really... Uh, say thank you for eating with us with a spoon. So what they've done is they've changed the image on the box because if if you haven't really paid attention to the KD box, there is a photo has been there for years of a fork with all the KD noodles on top. Well, now they're changing it up and have introduced new limited edition spoon KD boxes. And so I guess if you're a spoon uh, KD eater, you are. I guess, excited about this. I don't know if it turns your crank or not. But they're, they're launching a social media campaign in which they're encouraging people to, uh, well, express the way that they love to eat KD. Are you on Team Spoon or are you on Team Fork? And uh, it was kind of funny, just during the uh, commercial break leading up to the news, uh, Paul's like, who who eats KD with a spoon? And I'm like, Paul, we can't be friends anymore because I do. And apparently you don't. No, he's a fork, he's a fork guy. And listen, there's not a wrong answer. It's a, it's a preference. But it is a very interesting debate on how people think about, I guess, tackling a meal. What should I, what utensil should I use? I'm not going to use my hands because that would just be not very polite. Uh, so let's get uh, a utensil. And so there's a great uh, little story on BuzzFeed that they had, uh, I guess it was a while ago. And they are asking people, what do you eat certain foods with? Which utensil do you prefer? And one of them is macaroni and cheese. Do you vote fork or do you vote spoon? And I am a spoon guy when it comes to mac and cheese. And the thought process is, you know, the fork is fine. Yeah, you can, you know, fork the noodles and get each, you know, prong of the fork with a noodle in there. You know, that's just playing with food. My mentality is, let's get as many mac and cheese noodles on this apparatus I'm going to stuff into my face uh, at once. And so the spoon does the trick. That's the thought process on the spoon. It's no different than when my family's eating chili. My wife, my daughter, my son, they're fork people. Give me the spoon. I want to shovel as much of this hot, steamy, delicious chili into my mouth. The spoon is the weapon of choice. So on this BuzzFeed page, uh, what do you mac and cheese with? A fork or a spoon? I pick spoon. I'm in the vast minority, 20% saying spoon. 
And so the list goes on and on in terms of what kind of different food items people use a fork or a spoon with, including the next selection, ice cream cake. Do you use a fork or a spoon? For me, when it comes to ice cream cake, I'm using a fork. You have to stab this thing. It's, it's, it's not very uh, delicate in terms of the texture. Once you get into it with a fork, you got to break you know, the, the crusty bottom. I want to use a fork for that. And you might be thinking, well, do you eat ice cream with a spoon? Well, yeah, obviously. But the cake, it's a little more solidified. I'm going with the fork. And that's the majority, 55%. Close vote there, uh, going with the fork. What about a regular cake? Do you use a fork or a spoon to eat a regular cake? You're at a birthday. They're hooting, they're hollering, they're opening presents. Here comes the cake. I, I think most people are picking fork. I pick fork as well. Yes, 85% are saying they eat a regular cake with a fork. That would be kind of strange to eat it with a spoon. I've done so when, you know, we're getting low on the plastic utensils and uh, at a birthday party. It's like, all right, well, we got spoons. Okay, do it. Here's a good one, too. This is a big debate in our family household as well. Maybe yours, too. Scrambled eggs, fork or spoon. The scrambled eggs for me are no different than the chili. I'm going with a spoon. And 92% are saying fork. Ah, I'm in the vast minority there. Not even close. Potato salad, fork or spoon. Now, there's a little more substance to a potato salad, a little more of a density to it. So I'm going with fork on this one. Fork for a potato salad. And according to this article, yes, 86% of people voted for fork. That makes sense. Shepherd's pie. Oh, I'm looking at the picture and this looks absolutely scrumptious. A, it looks like a one inch thick mashed potato topping on top of all this ground beef and there's some corn and peas and carrots in there. Oh, that looks delicious. Fork or spoon for shepherd's pie. Oh, this is a tough one because if I'm eating mashed potatoes, yeah, I'm, I'm using the fork, but I can see myself using the spoon as well just to get a few more of the, the mashy goodness into my mouth. And then with the ground beef, there's a lot of loose stuff in there, very chilly. Like, I think I'm doing spoon here. I think I'm doing spoon on shepherd's pie. And here, once again, it's fork, 80%. Well, poo-poo on you. Jello. Do you jello with a fork or a spoon? <laughs> I like to say I eat it with my hands, but no, that's not correct. I'm going spoon on jello. It's too wiggly. Who eats it with a fork? Spoon? Yeah, there we go. 79% of voters say spoon for jello. I think that's the right answer. Quiche. I can't remember the last time I had actually had quiche. Fork or a spoon? I think I'm eating quiche with a fork. It's kind of like a cake. Well, it's got the cake kind of structure. Yeah, 94% say fork for cake. Oatmeal. Well, wait a minute here. Who is eating oatmeal with a fork? There's no one out there, is there? I'm going spoon. Spoon all the way. Yes, 97% eat oatmeal with a spoon. Whew. Kind of breathing a sigh of release. I did not want to be on the back end of that one. Chili. All right. For me, it's spoon. Spoon every day and twice on Sunday. Yes, yeah, 78% of voters eating chili with a spoon. Gnocchi. Ooh. This is a decision, isn't it? I think more often than not, I'm reaching for the spoon. I'm clicking spoon. And no, 83% deciding for fork on gnocchi. Pie, if it's an apple pie, if it is a cherry pie, if it's a pecan pie, whatever the case is, that's an absolute fork. Yes, absolutely. 80% of people saying fork. Ravioli. 
I like to do the spoon, but now nah, I got to do the fork. Fork on the ravioli, yet 96%. Mashed potatoes, I'm reaching for that spoon on mashed potatoes. No, 59% say fork, 41% say spoon. Is this the last one? Yeah, I believe so. Cheesecake, fork or spoon. Uh, this is fork all the time. Any kind of cake or pie, I think it's the fork. Fork all day, yeah, 85% say fork. So there you go. Some of the, I guess, the debates that you'll have in your kitchen or your dinner table. Or at the breakfast table, fork or spoon? Uh, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a weird dude. A lot of spoons <laughs> going with my meals. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.